It's great to have you with us here at Pathway Church this morning. We're excited about worshiping together with you. I, I thought it would be fun. My daughter, my older daughter, Shannon, sent me, or sent us, rather, the um, nice and naughty list from Santa this, this uh, week. I don't know if you've seen this online. And so all week we've been checking out, you know, who's nice and who's naughty and all that kind of, and I thought it would be fun to start off today with, with a little bit of that. And so um, I thought we'd just look up a couple of people in this room and just see if they're getting Christmas presents this year or if they're getting coal. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, since he just talked to me before, sir, I looked up Tony on this list and unfortunately Tony's been naughty this year. So he's, he's on the, the naughty list. Um, and I talked to Bill earlier too, so I thought, uh, you know, I kind of think I know what Bill is. But anyway, I was wrong. Bill, you're on the nice list this year. And so he's, he's getting, getting uh, gifts. Yeah. Um, I spoke with Carol earlier, and so I thought we'd check out. Carol's a nice person, isn't she? Don't you? Carol set up this whole breakfast for us this morning. Give her a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, she's on the naughty list, so she's going to be getting some coal this year. Um, and so... Uh, I, I saw Lee and Lita come in earlier, and I thought, you know, I'm going to look up Lee because, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy. And I was right. He's on the nice list, so he gets, he gets presents. Yeah. And then there's Emmett. Everybody loves Emmett, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's on the naughty list this year. Um, so, and you know what's funny is um, back in the booth, Shane and Aaron are serving this, this week for us. And back in the booth, I thought it would be interesting just to see how twins play out. And the nice and naughty thing. And, um, you know, Shane, we all love Shane, right? right yeah, he, he's on the nice list. Give it up for Shane. He gets present, yeah. But unfortunately, Aaron is on the naughty list this year. And so Bill and Adrian, no, no presents for them. Sorry, sorry. Um, anyway, that's kind of fun, isn't it? If you want that, I'll send it to you. Just let me know. I'll text it to you. But it's cool to kind of have fun with that. So I got a question for you. What comes to mind when people think about Christmas? What comes to mind? What do people think of? When they think about Christmas, presents, obviously, tree, um, shopping, decorating, lights, busyness. I don't know if any of you were out yesterday doing any kind of shopping. I was a little bit yesterday. Where did all these people come from? And I was just in Claremont. It's like, go away. You know, it, just, it was crazy. Uh, food, we all enjoy the food of the holidays. There are no calories at Christmas time, from what I understand. Um, parties family, friends. How many of you enjoy time off from work or school when it comes? Yeah, it's, it's always nice to have that. Some of us travel. We have people that are traveling right now. Um, and obviously, too, people think of Santa when they think of Christmas. But I bet very few people think about joy. I bet very few people, it's, you know, if there's a single word that describes what Christmas is all about, it's joy. But I, I bet very few people think about that. I mean, think about all of the Christmas songs, the Christmas carols that mention the idea of joy. I mean, they probably come to mind. What's the first one that comes to mind when we think of joy? Joy to the world, right? The Lord has come. There's another one. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Another one. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? How about this one? Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. How about this one? Tidings of comfort and Joy, yeah, here's one. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Huh. Joy is a focus throughout 
The Christmas story. Take a look, Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Don't be afraid, he said. Come on, read this part with me. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Here we are three days away from Christmas, and I wonder how many of us would say we feel joy today. Busy, we feel hurried, we feel stressed, but, but very little joy. And yet, remember what the angel said? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Hmm. See, something that I think we need to understand, something that I know is true, and I want you to get this down right on the top of your outline. Hopefully you've got that full page outline out and you can fill in the blanks as we go. Get this down. God wants me to experience joy. God wants me to experience joy. God wants you to experience joy. Turn to somebody next to you. Maybe you haven't come to church with them and you just you maybe just met them, whatever, and just turn around and just tell them right now, God wants you to experience joy. Joy. That's what he wants to give you this year. Is joy. Christmas is all about how Jesus came into our world to bring joy. Wow. And I think our whole world is missing joy. I mean, you could turn on to any news cycle right now, and that's the last thing I see on the screen, any screen, computer, TV, phone, whatever. I don't see joy anywhere. It's like, it's like, it's, it's vacant, it's void. We, we're, we're joyless in our world right now. I think we've been missing joy for, for a while in our world. Maybe you have. Part of our problem is that we've got the wrong idea of joy. We, we have a tendency to think that joy is happiness and, and that it depends on our circumstances, and that's not what joy is at all. I mean, what is joy? If you think about what is joy, it's really hard to define what, what joy is. But we know what joy isn't, right? It's this guy right here, right? That, we definitely know Grinch is not, is not joy. So what did the angel say? I bring you good news that will bring great joy. On your outline, I want you to circle that word. That's an interesting word. If you don't know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, Koine Greek, and then it was translated into English so that we could have it and understand it and be able to read it. In the original language, this word joy is the word kara, and it means to lean towards an awareness of God's grace and favor, to lean into, to, to expect it, to anticipate the grace and the favor of God. So I want you to get this down. This is the way that I define what, what joy is. Joy is living every day with an awareness that God is doing something. Living every day with an awareness that God is doing something, that God's up to something. Come on, say it with me. Joy is living every day with an awareness that God is doing something, that he's working in your life. He's working in the lives of people around you, that God is working in your job. Sometimes it doesn't look like it or feel like it, but he is, that he's working in your health. He's working in your marriage. He's working with your kids, with your parents, 
in your relationships, in your today, in your future, tomorrow, that God is active and alive and he is doing something. The angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Look what he continues. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. The angel calls Jesus the Savior. The Apostle Paul writes this, God saved us not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus, our what? Savior. Savior. Maybe you're at the point in your life, in some area of your life, maybe in your marriage maybe in your job, maybe health or finances or relationships. Maybe you're at the point in your life, generally speaking, where you don't have the energy to save yourself. You don't have the ability to change anything. It's out of your control and you're seeing it and it feels hopeless and you feel helpless. Guess what? You need a savior. I remember hearing a young child many years ago say it this way, that Jesus is my saver. We need to know that, that he can save us. He can change our lives. The angel calls Jesus the Messiah, God's chosen king of God's kingdom. You know what that says to me? That God has a plan. It really means and a purpose, and he is accomplishing it. And I don't know about you, but that really means a lot to me because sometimes in areas of my life, I'm wondering what in the world God is doing. Anybody else like me in that? It's like, why is this going in this direction, in this way? I, what are you doing, God? Are you even doing anything? Be assured that God has a plan and he has resources to pull off that plan. The angel calls Jesus the Lord. For me, this is the best title. This is a Greek word, kurios. It, it refers to the personal name of God. Hmm. God is, is entering our world himself. Shows me that, that God is getting up close and personal with me. That Jesus came so that he could, he could get close to me. That God offers himself because he wants me to know him personally. He wants you to know him personally. Because Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. We can know that God cares about us and that he um, wants us to experience the joy that he is offering. Just like a group of guys did in Matthew chapter 2. We know him as the wise men. Take a look. The writer Matthew says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Judea, during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, my first question was, how could they possibly know about a king being born of the Jews? How did they know about this? Well, throughout history, if you back up a little bit and take a big look of History 101, throughout history, there have been four major world empires. The first great uh, world empire was the Babylonian Empire. 
And we know that the Babylonians then were conquered by the second great world empire, was the Medo-Persian Empire. And you're going to see how these play together. They were made up of the Medes and the Persians. And under the leadership of Alexander the Great, that may be a name that you know, that Greece became the third great world empire as they conquered the Medo-Persians. And then lastly, conquering the entire world was the Roman Empire. So these four great world empires were a part of our history um, as a world. And if we back up in history, we discover that this people group called the Medes, they were in existence all the way back, actually some researchers believe back to 1900 BC into the Babylonian Empire. When the Babylonians were ruling, Nebuchadnezzar was ruling the world, the Medes existed. And most researchers believe that a group, a priestly group of Medes became known as the wise men. And they were skilled in astronomy and astrology. They were interested in, in the meaning of the movements of the stars and planets. They were highly respected. They were very influential. They were wealthy. And so they begin to rise to power of importance in governments and king's palaces. History tells us that the wise men became so prominent and so powerful that within the Medo-Persian Empire, they became known as the king makers. This group, the wise men, became a group, a tribe, that there were, there were no kings, no leaders that were anointed or would rise to power without their approval and blessing. Hmm. No one ruled without their endorsement. Now, during the time of the Babylonian Empire, this, like I said, this group was living in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonian Empire, conquered much of the known world, including the nation of Judah. This was in 587 BC. And so Nebuchadnezzar, as a part of this conquering, he took so many people from Judah into captivity and, and included in that group of people was one particular man. Anybody know his name? His name was Daniel. Now, what's interesting about Daniel is he began to rise to power um, serving King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was a Jewish man, even though he was in exile, he was serving in the king's palace and he became very important there. And after interpreting a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, take a look, it says the king made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the capital, as well as chief over his, what? Wise men. This group, this tribe, that were the kingmakers. Wow. Now, Daniel served as leader of the wise men for many years, including under King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire, for years. Daniel was a man who completely followed God, and his position gave him the opportunity to tell other people about his God and about God's people. This is where the, the dots connect. I believe, and many researchers believe, this is how our wise men, years later, centuries later in Matthew 2, became familiar with Jewish history. It's because this information had been passed along generation after generation through these groups, these tribes of wise men that this main guy, Daniel, had shared, where, where Daniel had literally predicted that exactly 483 years um, um, uh, if I can get my, my text here, would pass, rather, 483 years would pass 
um, from the time of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the birth of the Jewish Messiah. He predicted the when this would take place. And so this tribe, this group of wise men, they knew the when, but they didn't know the where. And so we pick up our story and they come to Jerusalem and they stop to ask this question. Remember, we already read it. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Huh. I mean, come on, let's think about this for a minute. Somewhere in the United States, there are some kids that are less than three years old that eventually will become president of the United States, right? And yet there is no one that is running after them, trying to figure out who they are and where they live. There's no one going to their house to give them honor and praise today. And yet that's exactly what's taking place in our text. The wise men say, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These guys were students of the sky, and God picked the perfect way to get their attention. He used a star. I mean, think about this. God does this quite often. He, he works through circumstances to get our attention and to direct us to what he is doing. I wonder, what is God trying to use in your life to get your attention right now? If God can use a star to reach wise men, then he can use anything. Everybody agree with me on that one? It's true. So the wise men asked the question, read it with me. <clears throat> Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to what? Worship him. They came to worship. Now, this is where the, the, the part of the text, the story gets me every time because this was their motivation. This was their purpose. This was their desire. They came all this way to worship Jesus as king. Now, what's interesting is Herod had a title too. Guess what Herod's title was? King of the Jews. In fact, Caesar Augustus had crowned him king of the Jews 40 years earlier. And now this group of wise men were arriving in Herod's city and they were asking the question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Herod knew exactly what was going on. He knew these guys. He knew these men were the kingmakers. He knew no one ruled without their endorsement. And so in verse three we read, King Herod was deeply troubled when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, why would everyone in Jerusalem be troubled when they learned about these guys trying to discover this new king? Well, because Herod was not on the nice list for Christmas. He was on the naughty list. I mean, Herod was not a good guy. He had been compared, he has been compared to Nero because he had a severe jealousy for power and an uncontrollable suspicion of everyone around him. He believed everyone was after his crown. So much so that he had not only his own wife, but his two brothers killed because he suspected them of treason. This is the way that Herod operated. Herod did anything necessary to hold on to his throne. And when these Persian kingmakers appeared in Jerusalem, look at verse four, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, 
where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they responded, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, are not least among the cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. And so my question is, why didn't these guys go see Jesus? Why didn't these guys go? If they knew, these religious leaders, if they knew where the Messiah was being born, why didn't they go to see I mean, these Jewish religious leaders that Herod was consulting, they were the best and the brightest minds of the day. They were professional students of the scripture. So when Herod asked, where is this Messiah being born? They didn't even have to think about it. They automatically, immediately knew exactly what the prophet had said. Bethlehem. He's being born in Bethlehem. I mean, they didn't have to look it up. They knew that the Messiah would be a Jew. They knew that he'd be from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, born of a virgin, and be born in Bethlehem. He was only six miles away from where they were. I mean, come on, how long does it take you to walk six miles? Think about it. If they knew the Messiah was being born only six miles away, why didn't they go check it out themselves? Why didn't they go? Why didn't they worship? Why didn't they get involved in what God was doing? These are religious guys. Why? Why? The most religious people in the room knew where God's son would be born and they did nothing about it. And that's the challenge to some of us. Hey, religious people in the room, God is doing something in your life and in the lives of people around you. Are you seeking what God is doing or are you staying the same? Are you going to go into 2020 the same? Or are you going to seek what God is doing? If you stay where you are, can I tell you something? If you stay where you are, nothing, nothing will change in your life. And you will miss out on what God is doing. Keep reading with me. Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You can almost hear the wink, wink, right? Come on, we, we know Herod was not planning on worshiping the baby. In fact, we don't have time to go into it today, but this story at this point becomes a story of a man who tried to kill Christmas and was not planning on worshiping this baby. But it says here in verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with what? Joy. There it is. So here we see how to get joy. I want you to get this blank. Ready? Responding to what God is doing brings joy. Responding to what God is doing brings joy. The wise men not only saw, they responded. They were the only people who found joy in the first Christmas story because they were the people who responded to God. Don't miss that. 
in their experience, we see something. I love this passage, Jeremiah 29. I love it out of the message paraphrase. Just just imagine, this is the wise men, and this is what they experienced. God says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Wow. So the wise men weren't disappointed. Keep reading Matthew 2. They entered the house. By the way, that kind of gives us the idea this was different than the nativity scene. We always have the wise men coming to the stable in our mind. This is different. He's older. It says they they entered the house and they saw the what? The, The child, not the baby. The child, the shepherds saw the baby, but... This is different. This is a different timeline. This is a different location. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Think about who these men were, the power and the prominence they had. And yet they bowed down to worship. To bow down in this culture means to reveal submission to someone who is in higher authority. You would bow lower than they are. They fell to the ground. They were saying to this child, you are higher than we are. We are lower than you. Wow. I want you to get this down. My response, if we're responding to what God is doing, and that's what brings us joy, my response should involve a couple of things. First, it should involve worship. Worship is always a part of my response to what God is doing. When they see the child, these educated, influential, intelligent wise men fall on their face, not because he is a toddler, a baby. It's because Jesus is king, and they know that he deserves their worship, and he deserves their life, nothing less. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that God gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord. This is the one that they have been searching for, the Messiah, God's son. And they recognize him as king and their lives were changed. The wise men are right in in the middle of what God is doing, right there in the middle of all that he's doing. They're seeing it, they're hearing it, they're feeling it. They are a part of it. And it says, then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, And myrrh, I want you to get this down. My response should always involve giving something. Giving something. Not just involve worship, but involve giving something. Giving is always a part of my response to what God is doing. Think about it. When you honor someone, you want to give something to them, right? I mean, even more, when you love someone, you want to give something to them. Friends, listen. If we are not giving to God, if we are not giving to God our lives, our time, our money, it is an indicator of a lack of worship. It is an indicator of a lack of love and honor to our God. Too many people know the the Christmas story and and they're moved by the nostalgia and the beauty and the emotion, but all of it's meaningless because they don't respond. And they go through the Christmas season, they go into it and they come out of it and they have not responded and they have not changed. 
What a tragedy it is to, to exchange Christmas cards and, and gifts and to decorate trees and homes and, and to go to Christmas parties and sing carols and, and even go to a church service like this and never really experience what God is doing. Not what he has done, but what he's doing today in your life and in my life. It's not enough just to hear what God is saying to you. It's not enough just to, to see what God is showing you. It's my response, it's your response that makes the difference. Maybe God is speaking to you today. Maybe you're in this room and you have never had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God is speaking to you today. Maybe you're here and you have a relationship with God and maybe you've had that for years through Jesus. God is speaking to you today. And he's looking for you to respond. And you need to know that if you don't respond, if I don't respond, then I miss out on what God wants to do in my life. Get that next blank. That you miss out on what God wants to do in my life. Responding is the key. Are you responding to God? This season, are you responding to God? If you don't respond, you'll miss out. But if you respond, you will not be disappointed. Your life will be changed. You'll experience joy. Would you bow your heads with me?